0: Hello and welcome to the VJ Sounds podcast, brought to you by the Video Journal of Neurology, your gateway to the cutting-edge world of neurology research. We are an open-access video journal sharing the latest news and research across all major disciplines. Our regular podcasts will bring you exclusive insights from renowned experts on hot topics in their fields. In this episode, we will be diving into the ever-evolving landscape of wearables in neurology. Wearable technology is revolutionising the way we understand and manage neurological conditions, and its importance spans across numerous disciplines. World-class experts will shed light on how wearables are transforming patient care and diagnosis in four major areas – movement disorders, multiple sclerosis, sleep disorders and epilepsy. From detecting subtle gait changes that would otherwise go unnoticed, to gaining new insights into sleep patterns and forecasting seizures with unprecedented accuracy, We'll delve into the progress researchers are making in this fascinating space. First up, we will be hearing from Alvaro Sanchez-Ferro from Hospital Universitario 12 de Octubre who talks on how wearable sensors are driving towards a novel care paradigm in movement disorders. He will introduce us to the types of wearables becoming available, how they are being incorporated into clinical practice, and future directions in this space.
1: The types of wearable devices that are coming available right now uh, are those that are focusing on PD and uh, have been developed specifically for PD, which will be kind of ad-hoc wearables. And we have like several systems in Europe that are are approved. Then we have commercial of the self systems that are being used as well for Parkinson's disease. And we have like several uh, as well initiatives there. Uh, And then also we can use smartphones or like a conventional gadgets as well to like uh, evaluate particularly motor manifestations in Parkinson's. PD specific devices right now in Europe, the ones that we are using uh, most are Staton, which is like a wearable device that you can uh, wear on your wrist. We have PKG, which is like a smartwatch. Then we have Kinesia that has like three different systems. All of them are accelerometers and Uh, gyroscopes so they are what we call inertial measurement units and then we have also PD monitor which is also like a a system that has like several uh, kind of smart watches that you can wear on your wrist and also on the ankles and then in the lumbar so each of them has like different locations different number of sensors but all of them work similarly they they measure movement these systems what are um, adding to right now our current practice is that we can evaluate patients more objectively so this is very important for us because uh, patients with Parkinson's disease have these motor manifestations that are very important to decide how to optimize the therapy and also are very important for the patient because obviously it's what is like uh, limiting them their quality of life. So these systems allow us to monitor these uh, manifestations objectively and help us make better like, uh, therapeutic decisions as well. Uh, obviously the, the, the systems are approved just for monitoring, but this information is very relevant for us to decide if the patient needs an adjustment in the medication, needs like a more advanced therapy. And this is one of the main applications where we are using them to, to guide uh, a little bit our practice and the recommendations that we will give to our patients. In terms of how to adopt these devices into regular practice, I think there are like still like uh, key things that people will need to consider. One will be to obviously understand how to use it, so that's very important. Uh, and there might be like a very simple questions that uh, sometimes you don't think of, like uh, having them charged before you give it to the patient, explain the patient properly how the device has to be worn. And then also it will be very important that people that are starting to use these systems understand as well, where to use it in what particular population of patients and what is the information that they are going to get because each system has its own report and you have to understand a little bit what the report is telling you so you can then you know use this information and as i said no, then potentially provide better care uh, to the patients in terms of future directions one of the most important areas right now and that we covered during the the presentation is to demonstrate what we call clinical utility and this means that these systems are not only capable of measuring motor manifestations, but also they uh, can improve outcomes. So we can demonstrate that the patient, you know, like uh, is having what we call less off time, more on time, which is that they can move better. Uh, so this is currently the key evidence that is being generated and there are like, some nice initiatives uh, there. In terms of you know, like, uh, evidence that is being generated, uh, right now there is like, a very nice initiative led uh, by the, the, uh, the National Institutes of Excellence in the UK and they are evaluating uh, thousands of patients with uh, wearing these systems to demonstrate that when they use this information, the patient is uh, better, better treated and has like, better uh, outcomes, quality of life, and uh, other outcomes. In terms of challenges, uh, thanks for the question, is um, uh, one of the key things is going to be how to you know, like, uh, be able to use these systems in regular clinics. Because, I mean, typically, when you see patients, uh, you don't have a lot of time. So you want a system that is simple to use, that is simple to explain, and that is simple to understand by the patient. So this is something that uh, still needs to probably improve a little bit, uh, and probably companies that are like uh, you know developing these systems will need to develop not just the device but also a service model where they can you know facilitate that the clinicians can prescribe these systems with uh, not a lot of uh, time investment. This is one of the barriers. One of the other important barriers also is uh, a reimbursement of uh, this uh, um, kind of service. Uh, right now, this is still being sorted out and there are like different models. Uh, in some uh, countries and some hospitals, the hospital is paying for this service. In some other countries, uh, pharmaceutical companies are supporting this type of services. Uh, some other initiatives like the commercial devices, the patient is uh, obviously uh, supporting the, the service. No? So this is something that still needs to be figured out as well.
0: Next, Andreas Schulze from the University Medical Center Freiburg will share his insights on the progress in epilepsy monitoring and seizure forecasting with wearables and implantable EEG devices. This new era of ambulatory seizure monitoring promises to overcome numerous limitations of patient-reported seizure diaries, which are currently used as the standard pipe test to assess seizure frequency and the degree of seizure control with therapy.
2: I think that's a real new topic which is getting more and more importance in epileptology. So as everybody knows, the information about the degree of seizure control, about the types of seizures, their occurrence, timing, and on also the efficacy of treatments is mostly based on what patients report, so on patient diaries. And we also know that what patients are able to document is far from complete. So there are many seizures that they are not aware of or that they at least don't remember afterwards so that we know that what they really enter into their diaries is not the information that we really need and there is a need now for objective data that really count also those seizures where patients have no memory of so when they lose awareness for example which are the more severe seizure types even and thus even more important for the doctor to know Mm -hmm. And so what is being introduced more and more, and more and more developed, is using wearables. So devices that the patient can wear with them and bring with them wherever they are. And also new EEG devices, which allow to get objective signs and uh, signatures of seizures that occur. And these devices are now increasingly used both in scientific studies but also in clinical practice in order to find out if the patient documentation is correct and if not, what the real data situation is. And I think our meeting will be mostly discussing the needs that there are from the side of the doctors and from the view of the patients. The new devices that we have available with non-EEG data, which particularly include variables which can measure, for example, movements that could be based on EMG or could be based on accelerometry, or autonomic symptoms, which are very frequently associated with seizures. So that would include changes in heart rate. That could include changes in temperature or in skin conductance. This would be typical. Uh, assessments that we use in order to define this could be a seizure and this should be then treated accordingly. And the next step then will be how to integrate that into a patient management. So, in terms of EEG, um, there are new devices available which allow to do ambulatory monitoring at least for a period of several days which would be just fixed on the skin. So as you know, normally our investigations are limited to either 20 minute recordings in outpatient settings or long-term recordings in in-hospital settings. But these in-hospital settings are extremely expensive and it's the, the, the number of places is certainly limited. And so we need better options also to see how the situation is in everyday life. And for this, these mobile EEG systems have become available now, which can be used with a limited number of seizures, but where to wear um, a limited number of electrode contacts, um, but variable well variable for the patient um, for a few days, now, maybe up to a week. But then we also have new devices, which can be placed subcutaneously so that they are not visible at all to others and are not stigmatizing at all and these devices can now be used for periods of months even to more than a year and this is really very interesting because these periods are the periods that we need in order to assess if our treatment approaches work, so to see if a change, for example, in medication improves seizure control or if a change in a neurostimulation treatment would be effective. And Of course, depending on the seizure type and on the type of epilepsy, different devices may be the best to choose, so there are some seizures which can be very easily seen with variables. So, for example, generalized tonic-clonic seizures are very easy to identify nowadays with variables. But there are other seizure types which have very little objective manifestations in terms of motor manifestations or even autonomic manifestations, like, for example, um, absence seizures. And they are also very difficult to count for patients. And for those types of seizures, Also, for some temporal lobe seizures, these new implantable EEG devices are very interesting, because then you really can see typical patterns of either, for example, three per second spike wave discharges in absences, or rhythmic theta patterns with evolution of their amplitude, which are very typical for temporal lobe seizures. So it is possible with these new devices for EEG to monitor briefly, or really over very prolonged periods of time, um, how the seizure situation in patients is.
0: Sleep is another key field being transformed by wearables and an area where consumer technology is rapidly on the rise. Emmanuel Mignon from Stanford University School of Medicine discusses the latest in sleep wearables and how healthcare professionals can effectively incorporate consumer sleep technology into their practice.
3: It's a double-edged sword uh, because, of course, um, they're not perfect, You know, they're not that good at medical-grade equipment. They could be actually as good as medical grade equipment, but often, you know, this company has a tendency of wanting to just do something really easy and cheap, which is logical. And one of their major weaknesses is that most of them measure movement. And movement is not sleep. If you don't move, you know, you're really relaxed. It's going to score you as sleeping. And of course, that's a problem. Uh, so it has the tendency of overestimating sleep if you are not moving, and underestimating sleep if you have sleep apnea or some movement during sleep. So it's far from being perfect. But where it's good, I think, is to just look at their general sleep habits, you know, from one day to the next. So maybe, you know, um, my sleep is not perfect, but from one day to the next, it will stay not perfect. And then if it gets much worse or much better when compared to a night before i think it's pretty reliable and also it it kind of gives you an idea of the sleep habits of people so i i actually use them to just try to see how people are doing consistently over time i think they are less good to kind of tell this patient has this problem this patient has this problem but to see how people are consistent i think it's pretty good uh and also i think they're getting better and better uh, it's just a matter of time before they will be able to do pretty much everything that we do with a normal sleep study. So there is already some devices that can, you know, measure sleep uh, that you can wear at home. Uh, they are not very convenient right now, but some of them are becoming like wearables that you can, like a little helmet that you can wear. And I think it will be more and more. Possible to do that. What I I see as a future is kind of a composite. You know, there will be like a ring to measure the oxygen, for example, for sleep apnea. Then you will have the EEG to look at your brainwave. Then you would have maybe a little actigraph for your legs to measure your leg movements. And depending on what you need, you can take one or the other, and everything will be on your iPhone and it will be again automatically analyzed.
0: Finally, Jennifer Graves from the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine focuses on wearables in MS. She discusses a study of a wearable multi-sensor device to determine its discriminatory potential in multiple
4: sclerosis. The neurological exam is arguably the most elegant in all of medicine. It serves us well in neurology in terms of diagnosis and following our patients, but it was invented 150 years ago. And as I uh, put in a lot of our articles, just reminding people that reflex hammer was invented in 1888, tuning fork in 1889, and we are uh, passionate about leveraging uh, the expanse of digital health technology and gaming and computer control technology uh, for the benefit of enhancing the neurologic exam. So we had... Patients living with MS and controls wear a simple multi-sensor device. It was the size of a bracelet uh, that they could wear on their arms or the legs. We could use the same device for the upper and lower extremities, which is advantageous when you're trying to track a, a group of people over time with the disease to have one simple device. We made measurements with them just simply tapping their fingers 20 times or tapping their toes 20 times. We asked them to do it as fast and as big as they could and by using those sensors, we were, be able, we were able to extract out detailed information about how they were moving uh, their limbs and develop a objective, kind of quantified uh, version of disability in each of those limbs. And we were able to detect pathology even in people who had normal exams. And we were able, in a longitudinal analysis, to separate out progressive from relapsing patients. So an exciting example of how we can use wearable sensors to get more objective sensitive uh, to change over, t- over the time information. So we can not only track our patients better with something like this, which we called it a, a new novel neurological vital sign. It takes less than five minutes is pretty inexpensive gives you a detailed numerical value of progression in a limb and would allow you to track patients better in your clinic, but also to support clinical trials. Uh, One of the holdups in being able to develop more agents for progressive MS is that the duration of trials is long, uh, that's required to prove an effect. So if we can develop technology that allows us to screen tools uh, more quickly, we could get through more drugs faster
0: that's everything we had for you today thank you so much for tuning in and we hope you learned something new from today's episode stay tuned for more episodes on the technological healthcare revolution where our esteemed guests will bring you up to speed with key advancements in neurological research and treatment to keep up to date with our new episodes and catch up on previous ones you can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app including spotify apple and podbean Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Neurology to join in the conversation and visit vjneurology.com to stay at the forefront of the ever-evolving world of neurology. Until next time!